Welcome to Profiles and Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. On this episode, I'll be trying something new, an experiment. No one knows this, but this podcast, Profiles and Risk, was not supposed to be a podcast. The original concept I had for Profiles and Risk was that I would write a recurring blog where I would dissect and analyze the patterns and styles of famous and sometimes obscure risk takers in fields such as finance, risk management, and of course, insurance. I was even thinking of examining risk-taking strategies and decision-making in sports, politics, law, and war. The original name of my hypothetical blog was Profiles in Risk-Taking. A year ago, Tony, Carly, and myself decided that we would do a podcast together. We would discuss current insurance news, insure tech startups, insurance careers, and as we approach our one-year anniversary on our first episode, And as I reflect on what we've done with the podcast and where I'd like it to go going forward, it keeps crossing my mind that my original concept of profiles and risk-taking, while initially a blogging concept, might just actually work in an audio format as well. As a general rule, humans are terrible at managing modern risks. Buying low and selling high, while such a simple rule of thumb is flat out really difficult to accomplish. There are people out there who are who have created a masterful track record of controlling their emotions and making rational and effective decisions in the face of risk, and that's really interesting to me. I wanted to learn from them, and I, I think you do too. So from time to time, I will interrupt the normally scheduled broadcast of interviews and other fun on Profiles and Risk with special episodes of Profiles and Risk Taking. Well, where I will introduce a person, book, or a concept that I think is remarkable, and where I will dis- discuss that on the show. And because of the nature of these shows, I will have the transcript of that audio, along with links and other tidbits available as show notes, just in case you prefer to read or do some additional research yourself. I'm actually reading the transcript now, so let's get this started. Welcome to Profiles and Risk-Taking. Again, I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. On this episode, I will be discussing the life of Cuthbert Heath. Most of you will will have never heard of Cuthbert Heath. He is barely known in the U.S., and it's really difficult to say his name. But ask anyone who's highly familiar with the Lloyds market or the London markets, and they are sure to know him. Mr. Heath is a man who is often called the maker of modern Lloyds. The first time I read a reference to him was in a book entitled A Crack in the Edge of the World by Simon Winchester. I have a link uh, on that book on the show notes. This is a book about the great San Francisco earthquake of 1906. It's a book about plate tectonics. But in in it, there's a passing reference to the immense damage of the quake and its insurance implications. If you are like me and you're struggling to find time to read more books, go to the show notes where I reference an insurance journal article which describes the book in detail. The event bankrupted 12 American insurance companies and two European companies. As most of you are probably aware, a giant conflagration erupted that burned most of the city of San Francisco. Back in those days, there there were really no property packages. What was sold to property owners was almost entirely fire-only policies, so it mattered greatly to property owners that their losses were deemed to have been caused by fire first 
and not earthquake first. If the original cause of loss was earthquake and fires occurred later, then there would be no coverage. This isn't too dissimilar to current issues we now see with water, wind, and flood, where in the majority of cases, flood is excluded. As I mentioned in the article that I referenced, a fifth of all claims were not being settled on the basis that adjusters could not determine the cause of loss, which would have been earthquake or fire or strangely dynamite, which was being used to blow up buildings to create firewalls to prevent fires and not surprisingly potentially exacerbated fires. Regardless of all that, Insteps cut, cut Berth Heath. Mr. Heath was a Lloyd's underwriter and responsible for a growing book of business. A man making a name for himself in London, the biggest insurance market in the world. Mr. Heath cables a message to his San Francisco agent and tells him, quote, pay all of our policyholders in full, irrespective of the terms of their policies. So for those of you keeping score at home, what Mr. Heath says is no matter what caused the loss, fire, which was covered, or perils such as earthquake, which were not covered, pay the losses and make, make these people whole. This was a complete game changer for Lloyd's and Mr. Heath. Both Lloyd's and Cuthbert grew incredibly after this event as both developed a reputation for honor. The Lannisters in the Game of Thrones are known as the family that always pays their debts. Well, Lloyd's became known as the insurance entity that would be there for their policyholders, even in the worst of times. It mattered that there was an English signature on the policy. This also fits very well with my internal compass on who we should be as insurance professionals, which is to act with honor and to pay what is due and to keep our promise to make our policyholders whole. Reading this confirmed my feelings about what I do for a living. It made me want to research this guy with the funny name even more. A quick search in Google pointed me to a book that was actually written about Cuthbert entitled Cuthbert Heath, Heath a, The Maker of Modern Lloyds by Anthony Brown. I've added the link to the show notes for you. The book is very inexpensive and can be purchased on Amazon for less than $5 used. I highly recommend picking up a copy. A lot of this book is interesting in that it describes Mr. Heath's life and how he got into insurance and his Lloyd's career. But also this book is loaded with insurance gems that truly inspired me with the hopes that our industry can lift itself from the reputation that it currently possesses which is one in which we look to shirk our responsibilities. So let's start with Lloyd's of London pre-Heath. From its very inception, Lloyd's was in, in the business of predominantly insuring marine exposures. That's, that's how it got started in the, uh, Lloyd's Coffee House. In the late 19th century, fire cover was just starting to emerge as a, as a potential line. Uh, it, it was small for sure. Here, a young Mr. Heath tried something that had never been done at Lloyd's. Specifically, he formed an underwriting syndicate to reinsure fire risks. This was extremely important in the history of Mr. Heath, but particularly the Lloyd's market. As read from the Brown book, quote, the 26-year-old Cuthbert Heath, Heath's acceptance of the hand-in-hand reinsurance, hand-in-hand was the fire insurer, is a milestone, not because of the nature of the risk itself, 
but because of the manner of the acceptance. True, he was in one sense helped once more by his father, but he was helped far more by what was now strongly emerging as his own underwriting temperament. A freshness of approach which saw no reason not to do a thing simply because it had never been done before. In the words of D.E.W. Gibbs, Heath found the novelty an attraction, not a deterrent. If there was a reason to prevent him from writing the risk, it must lie in the quality of the risk itself. If the risk was a bad one, then either the rate must be raised to an appropriate level or it must be turned down. But a, but a risk that had nothing against it except except it would except its novelty was the best of all risks to write for the underwriter who accepted it would be starting on the ground floor and establishing himself as a market before his competitors what cuthbert heath had achieved and got away with was the formulation of a heresy he had dared to deny that the business of lloyd's was above all to write marine risks it was the first step but it was nothing to what would follow End quote. So perhaps it's just a confirmation bias, but these two paragraphs truly reflect a, a conviction I have about how underwriters and underwriting units need to think about how they deploy capacity effectively. First, there's that little dig about how the industry in its conservative nature is fearful of doing things that it has never done before. But as was strongly pointed out in the quote by Mr. Webb, it is that the novelty is a great ally to have. Emerging risks are the place to be. Why? Because there's little or no competition. You as the underwriter set the market. You dictate the rates, you dictate the coverages and the exclusions. And best of all, if you can establish a profitable market in this new line, you establish the brand for the market. Sure, it's risky, and there's not a lot of data to support your decision. But if the alternative is to fight it out day after day in a crowded market and ultimately be part of a commoditized product, then I'll take a novelty every day of the week. And um, I will actually go into some of Mr. Heath's pricing in a few minutes. The second gem here is something that I said on many a podcast recording, which, is, which boils down to there's no such thing as bad risks, only bad prices. You, as the underwriter, may find an exposure so severe with potential risk that you don't think your price will be economically viable in the market, which might be right. But that does not negate that there is that there isn't a price which does justify writing the risk. If you can get the right price, you should write it. Going after novelty thus became the business model for Mr. Heath. He was the first underwriter to offer loss of use cover. He put himself in the property owner's shoes and thought about what a large fire loss would do to their business. Sure, he was there to get the building back on the back up off the ground, but what about the months of lost revenue from not having the the building operational to begin with? If you think about it, from a catastrophic loss, just covering the asset itself is useless. If the if when the asset is returned you're already out of business. Loss of use cover was a, was a natural, empathetic extension to the traditional property policy. Of course, Mr. Heath was lambasted for it and was even brought in front of the governing board at Lloyd's by other members. 
After being admonished, Mr. Heath continued to sell the coverage. Imitation being the sincerest form of flattery, when within years, every Lloyd syndicate writing fire insurance also offered loss of use cover. For his next act, Mr. Heath stepped into personal lines. Upon being asked half-jokingly to insure a property for burglary, Mr. Heath responded with two words that he has become legendary for. Why not? For Cuthbert, it was his job to find a way to provide the coverage, not to outright decline it. If he could find a way to provide the coverage and get the appropriate premium, then why not indeed? Mr. Heath continued to innovate using his why not mantra. Personal burglary policies provided the insight to provide commercial burglary policies for jewelers, both within premises and in transit. Mr. Heath developed the first jeweler's block policies. Mr. Heath obtained and expanded probably the finest global earthquake maps anywhere for that time. It was said that well into the 20th century, Mr. Heath's maps were so advanced that he far outdistanced any other underwriter when it came to insights around frequency and severity of earthquakes globally. Mr. Heath was one of the first underwriters to ensure fidelity coverage for employee dishonesty. And in the early, early 20th century, his syndicate was, was one of the first to cover employers' liability and workers' compensation. Also in the early 20th century, Mr. Heath wrote disease insurance, which would pay out if the insured contracted a specific disease covered by the policy. Of course, being that this was the early 20th, 20th century, big cities such as London were prone to having catastrophic epidemics. Given that a catastrophic epi epidemic outcome was always around the corner, how could Mr. Heath justify providing such cover? Simply, to get the policy, you had to get vaccinated. And just like that, Mr. Heath ties risk management directly to an insurance policy, protecting both his customers and his capital, a, a topic which is very close to my heart. In the early 20th century, Mr. Heath enters the greatest emerging risk ever to arise in insurance, auto insurance. In 1907, Mr. Heath sells uh, the first Lloyds-backed auto policy, and in 1912, sells the first fleet cover to a meatpacking company in Chicago. Chicago and Chicago brokers, incidentally, were very critical to the success of Mr. Heath and of Lloyds. Many of Mr. Heath's innov most innovative products were derived from requests via the Chicago brokers. During the First World War, Mr. Heath sold bombing insurance to property owners feel fearful of loss from bombs being dropped by German Zeppelins. For those of you wondering how in the world Mr. Heath could even price such apparel, here is a quote from, uh, from Mr. Heath in Anthony Brown's book. Quote, to arrive at a premium in spite of the apparent uncertainty, we knew roughly how many airships Germany possessed or were likely to possess, and we also knew roughly how many bombs they would carry and also the area of possible damage by one bomb. Taking London as an example, it was easy to ascertain what premium should be charged to cover probable risks. I remember being very much surprised when I discovered how much of London is represented by open spaces. In the end, 
I multiplied the probable hazard by six and thought I should be on the right side, end quote. Knowledge is power, and Mr. Heath does two things that every good underwriter should do. One, he builds his own case by assembling clues from the data that exists. He didn't need claims data. He takes an end around and outflanks the problem. Secondly, he figures he needs a margin of safety, something that I will discuss time and again across all of the risk takers I discuss in this, uh, this type of formatted show. And he multiplies his best estimate by six. Coincidentally, that's something that I do every day with every single account I underwrite in my work. So other firsts from Cuthbert Heath were uh, workers' compensation retro plans and bundling wind cover into property policies. Even after Mr. Heath's death, the Heath Syndicate were early participants in satellites and nuclear power. Heath was fond of saying that each risk should be evaluated on its merits, and the proof is in the pudding. Cuthbert Heath was on the cutting edge during his entire career, and his foresight and courage were a major factor in the Lloyds brand that we know today. Mr. Heath was inducted into the Insurance Hall of Fame in 1966. So that completes my profile of Cuthbert Heath as a remar remarkable risk taker. I hope you were able to take away something from this. And I ask for any feedback that you can provide for this series, including any other remarkable risk takers. My name is Nick Lamparelli, and until next time, thank you.